Sound Valley Studio presents We Are Here, an audio journey exploring Black excellence in cyber. Hosted by Ron Eddings and Chris Cochran. In part two of We Are Here, Ron and Chris speak with the epitome of Black excellence in cyber, featuring Tia Hopkins, the technical juggernaut, AJ Yawn, the empathetic entrepreneur, Kelvin Coleman, the strategic mastermind, and Charles Nawatu, the wise warrior. These are their stories in achieving excellence in cybersecurity and in life. Let's talk just a little bit about background and what you're doing today in cyber. Uh, let's start with you, Kelvin. Thanks a lot, Kelvin Coleman, a executive director and the uh, chief uh, executive officer for uh, the National Cybersecurity Alliance. I've been in the cyber game for about 20 years now. Started off at Department of Homeland Security. I was there. Intergovernmental Affairs for Cyber. Traveled around the country, briefing governors and, and mayors on cyber. We usually have FBI, CIA with me. I was able to uh, work at the Obama White House in the Cyber Directorate, which is really cool. Did a stint at FireEye uh, and, and was at there at the National Security Agency for them and then came to this role. So uh, it's been a really exciting journey. And I, I think we're just beginning. Oh, man. Following that up, let's see. Do I want to? <laughs> but I will. <laughs> uh, so, Atia Hopkins, I am uh, currently the Vice President of Global Solutions Architecture uh, at a managed services uh, cybersecurity organization. I started out individual contributor level uh, working with phone company, been in various roles, hands-on, management, lover of technology. I've been in IT and security in total for about 20 years, but specifically focused or more accurately addicted to cybersecurity for the last 10. My name is Charles Nwatu, and currently I'm the engineering manager at Netflix, supporting our security governance and assurance and our risk quantification program. And I would say I've been in cybersecurity probably for the last 10 to 15 years within the IT cybersecurity domain, supporting federal governments with my time at DISA, the Defense Information Systems Agency. Then from there, spending time at McAfee, and then um, decided to head out west and build a detection and response team for LinkedIn. And it's migrating from there to being where I'm at right now at Netflix. I'm AJ. I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of ByteCheck, a uh, cybersecurity compliance automation software company. I spend, I've been in the cybersecurity industry for about 10 years, half of that time in the U.S. Army, where I was a signal officer. Served for about six years on active duty, both here in the States and overseas deployed and did some cool things, but just got yelled at a lot and and, and told I, I, nothing was working. When I left the military, I went to work at a cybersecurity compliance firm where I helped grow a team from about nine of us to over 130. And we were doing the full SOC 2, ISO, HIPAA, high trust, all the alphabet soup of compliance out there. And I was focused on cloud security. And last year in the middle of a global pandemic, I decided why not go out and start my own company and, and figure out a better way to, to solve the compliance problem and publicly launched the company November 11th and, and been having a lot of fun since. Chris Cochran, co-host of the Hacker Valley Studio podcast, also director of security engineering at Marketa, which is a financial technology company. And I'm just happy that we have all these incredible people on the call today. I cannot wait to jump into the conversation, but I'll pass it over to Ron to introduce himself. Ron Eddings, uh, son of cybersecurity. Cybersecurity has been like a parent to me. It's taught me good. It's taught me bad. 
And I love being in the game. I've been in the game for about 10 years now. And right now, co-host of Hacker Valley Studio and also engineering manager at Marketa. So I figured it'd be good to set the stage. So Ron and I, we do Think Weeks. And this past Think Week, we were sitting around and we were thinking about how we could help the most people because we love helping people in cybersecurity, but we really wanted to help all people. And we decided that we were going to come up with a framework for excellence. And we came up with this idea of EXIST. And EXIST is an acronym. EXIST is EXPLORE, that's the E-X. I is IMMERSE. S is study and T is translate or transform. What does that really mean? So exploring different worlds within this thing called humanity. If you look at anything, whether it's sports, whether it's hobbies, whether it's your career, we, we can look at these different dichotomies as different worlds that we can explore, whether we're going into cybersecurity or even a subcomponent of cybersecurity, incident response is its own world. Vulnerability management is its own world. And if you look at sports, football, basketball, wrestling, hobbies, chess, crochet, all these things have their own worlds, definitions, characters, ways of learning. And so we, we looked at how do you become excellent and be able to give back to your community? And so explore is where you discover that world. And so let's start right there. Let's start with how everyone here on this call discovered cybersecurity as something that they could do for their lives and also for their community. Let's start with you, Charles. I think the explore aspect is very interesting. My most important thing actually was I love to help people. I actually wanted to be a nurse. I, I, I just thought the bedside manner, seeing people get healthy, just being around like people that need to get better always drew um, me to like, like moth to a flame. I always enjoyed it. And then one day, like this computer thing came into my house. It was like a Tandy computer from Radio Shack. And, and it, it intrigued me because it's like, oh, what is this thing? So I started taking it apart, putting it back together, taking it apart, putting it back together. And I realized, wow, like this thing could actually help people do so many other things. It was like a force multiplier. And so for me, it was just the idea of, of, of thinking about how do I use this thing, this computer at this time? To what else could I do with it? There weren't really things online yet. I was just playing with it. Uh, my dad got me the, uh, the the candy computer book, and I was just reading it with my brother. And we would just go through it, take it apart, put it back together again. And that's really what caused my desire to learn more about this electronics and, until I got to a, an age where I was like, okay, let me go see what else exists out there. And that's when the advent of the internet was happening. I think I got my first AOL account, had like ISDN, 64K. And then now like that just opened up a whole other world. It's, wow, look at all this content that's out there about computers and technology. I think at the time they called it like ICT, and I was just reading up about it and understanding how the personal computer was going to change the way we do business, and then the internet was just going to be the force multiplier in doing so. So I think for me, like, like my origin really started out in terms of helping people. I just see cybersecurity as a way to help people understand like the safeguards of the internet, like how we can build tools and experiences to help like, secure their data, like just have safe experiences online, and then now. Like, to take it personally a little bit is that as a father of like young kids, like online safety and bullying and things like it really is an important thing. Like the psychological well-being of, of my kids in terms of how they interact online. I know and I sound old now. Like when I was growing up, I, I that's not how I in, interact with people. Like I knew the person down my block, I could go play outside with them. But now my my kids have online forums and clans that they play with, and I'm concern uh, always about their safety. And so how does cybersecurity help 
inform youngsters and also parents in terms of creating a, a better ecosystem and environment for them to operate in. So I think it's always been about giving back and using cybersecurity as a means to doing that for the people that I love and the friends that are in my life. You just said, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. This is my purpose. And I think that's absolutely incredible. What about you, Tia? What's your origin story? I actually started out, my story is actually similar in the um, telecommunication space. So it bordered on information technology because I was installing DSL. And so I'm touching computers and people are asking questions about Wi-Fi and things like that. But prior to that, I was always really interested in technology. I didn't know it was technology. I just knew that my mom stopped buying me toys because I would always take them apart because I wanted to know how they worked. Even when she bought me a computer, instead of plugging it in and, and getting on AOL to the earlier point, I took it apart. And so at the age of 12, built my first computer because she saw it in a bunch of pieces and told me I better put it back together. The challenge for me though was at that age, back in the day, there was not a lot of guidance around what that meant or someone for me to follow or a way for me to broaden my skill set. And it was just, you're good. You should do something with computers. You sh you, you're good with computers. And so I went into this uh, role with the telecommunications company installing DSL. And I actually got tired of telling customers, I don't know. I don't really know how to set up Wi-Fi. I don't really know how to get this DSL on more than one computer for you. And so that curiosity led to me exploring on my own and, and building a lab and getting a couple books and playing around. And if I do this, what's the outcome? And if I do that, what happens? And that's how I learned. And then I got to a point in my career where I was a, an IT generalist and told myself, hey, it's time to do something with your life. My pivot into cybersecurity was actually after a lot of market research. I wanted to understand the viability, sustainability of whatever direction I decided to pursue. And at the time, it looked like my options were like DevOps, cloud, and obviously cybersecurity. And I chose cybersecurity, one, because it just appealed to me and the way my brain works. But also, I was already doing it in some regard and, and didn't really know it just with the networks I was working on and having to secure those, et cetera. But once I got into it and started to explore and understand what it really meant, it, it, it was addictive. And I like to, to joke, but it's really not when I say that my career became my hobby. It's cybersecurity is literally what I do for fun. What are you doing while you're on vacation? Oh, I'll probably go study for a certification or something like that. But to the point of why it matters to me, it, it is because the impact of this word that just to some is just a word and it's not, it's so big and it goes beyond the, the corporation, which is what we hear about most, right? Secure your assets, make sure your users are aware of what goes on. But this thing goes all the way up to protecting our nation. And it goes, if we get less critical with it in terms of the uh, business aspect, and we talk about the individual, it's critical there as well, because who you are is literally everything that you are, everything that you have. So being able to understand how to protect yourself and your children and your personal assets, it's all important and all relative. And I think that in addition to all of that, what keeps me going is just that every day is something new. Even if it's the same concept, it's a different variant and you have to solve it a different way. And so it just remains challenging, but also uh, critically important. So I love it. 
So we just had you on the podcast and we were thinking about a title for you and we came up with Technically Unstoppable. Did that <laughs> ring true for you? Because if people check out that episode, they will see this person will just not quit. All right, let's kick it over to Kelvin. Let's talk about your origin story. Wow, so much less exciting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Charles or, or T, and I'm quite sure AJ is going to blow us away as well. <laughs> I, I didn't start off as, as technical. I didn't. I wasn't taking apart computers, Charles and Tia. Uh, what happened was I was at the Department of Homeland Security, and Tia recognized perhaps the National Telecommunications and Advisory Council. That is the group, private sector group that advises the president on telecommunication issues. If you think about the red phone uh, that was established during the Kennedy administration to have direct connections to the Kremlin during an incident of international uh, significance. And this private sector group would advise the president on different things. I was one of the staff directors for that group. In fact, an African-American woman, uh, you know, Keisha Miller, who worked at the Department of Homeland Security, hired me uh, for that. And then the cyber thing comes along. And then Jenny Minna, a wonderful person uh, who was also at the Department of Homeland Security, said, hey, Secretary Napolitano, uh, right, under the Obama administration, wants to know what we're doing for cyber as it relates to state and local. I'm like, all right, who do I ask? <laughs> She's like, no, you find out. <laughs> like, oh, okay, sure. And that really started my odyssey into cybersecurity because no one was doing it for the government at the time in terms of trying to figure out you know, what state locals, how they were handling cybersecurity. Because obviously, as both Charles and Tia you know, alluded to, it's a national issue that we all have to have a shared responsibility to handle. And, and, and so once I went down that rabbit hole, I continued and it absolutely was the best thing ever. I think Jenny literally this past week gave her a call to thank her uh, for giving me that assignment uh, because I became the de, de facto expert at the Department of Homeland Security as it relates to cybersecurity with state and local. Now, the ones and zeros, the technical pieces, of course, there were people who knew more. They had forgotten more than I'll ever know. But in terms of dismantling those silos that kept us from sharing information, I became an expert at that and really tying uh, the folks together that needed to talk as well as knowing the issues. As I said, yeah, we literally went around the country briefing governors in a classified setting on cybersecurity risk in their state, what nation states were doing, what criminal organizations were doing but to bring down uh, their state systems. And, and so that was a really my foray into it. And then it yeah, became relatively known for that and was asked to come to the White House to do the same thing for the uh, Obama administration from the White House. And, and I will say, you know, once President Obama left, I think I decided to leave as well. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good time to get out. And again, you know, working with FireEye, the same thing. Work with their Intel division at the National uh, Security Agency. They had a wonderful program called Sharkseer. As we know, government can't keep up with the private sector as it relates to technological innovations. And so this, in the bureaucratic procurement process, it, it's relatively slow. So the bad guys were always ahead of us in terms of their nefarious intent. Uh, Sharkseer was a program that was created to make sure that private sector innovations and, and, and developments were getting into the pipeline sooner rather than later uh, so that government could really do a great job of trying to uh, mitigate those challenges against us. And so I just became known for that. And then, of course, coming to the National Cybersecurity Alliance, continuing that expertise, working with 33 uh, companies representing about $7.7 trillion in market cap, as well as still working with the government and trying to make sure that we cover the 
the people part of technology. Again, AJ and Tia and Charles, Ryan, Chris, technology, God, you guys run circle around those people. And that's just one part of technology, right? Products. Processes is another part, but we always tend to undervalue the people part of it. And certainly that's what we specialize in here at the National Security Alliance. I think you sold yourself short. It's an incredible origin story. So I don't want to hear it again. (laughs) (laughs) Sir. (laughs) Last but not least, AJ Yan, tell us about your origin story. Yeah, this is tough. This is tough after those three stories. I don't know. I'm just a regular guy. I did not have, like Kelvin, I was not taking apart computers. I wasn't destined for this field. I was an athlete, mainly because that was the only way I knew to leave my city that I'm from. I was through sports, which is why this event here is so powerful to me is because hopefully there's a kid out there that can see this and say, there's people that look like me in this field. But I, I was an athlete. I left California to go to Florida State to play basketball there at Florida State University for, for Leonard Hamilton. And two broken ankles later, uh, I no longer was playing basketball at Florida State, which a lot, which forced me to join the military because there's no way I was going back home to California. I set out to graduate from college and I wanted to be the first in my family to do so. I was going to find any way to, to complete that goal, whether or not basketball was paying for that. So I joined the military, which... I ended up playing basketball, long story short, and had a great time, but joined the military as a signal officer. And that's when I got introduced to cybersecurity. I introduced as a second lieutenant, showed up to my unit, and three months later, we were deployed. Me and and 15 of my soldiers are responsible for making sure that units deployed across theater can communicate. And I was just six months earlier in Tallahassee partying, and nine months later, you're deployed in the middle of the desert. It's really hot, and your soldiers are looking at you for advice and guidance. When Kelvin, when you're talking about the people and, and that being an important part of cybersecurity, I think something that helped me out a lot in my career is that I started as a leader in cybersecurity. I started focusing on people before I learned technology. When I decided to leave the military after not wanting to sleep outside anymore and spending months away from home, I realized that in order to succeed once I left the military, because I was taking a big risk leaving as a captain and, and, and sacrificing a lot, from a stability perspective, that the only way to do well on the outside is in cybersecurity. I had the experience, I had some certifications, I knew how to get a few more, so I knew I'd be able to land a role out there. So it was really about survival again. The first part of paying for school was about survival. The second part about getting out of the military was for survival. And then once I touched the civilian sector of cybersecurity, I realized something very early on that I had a purpose again. I was nervous when I left the military that I wasn't gonna have a purpose anymore, that I wasn't gonna have that same reason for doing what I was doing, that it was only gonna be about money or myself and I wasn't gonna have actually a reason. But then I saw how important cybersecurity is, not just for organizations to protect data, but also from a business perspective. It was causing, it was the reason for success or the reason for failure. And there was minor decisions that people could make especially in a cloud environment that can be the difference between success, which impacts a lot of people if you're talking about a big company, or failure. And that just made me addicted. It made me addicted to realize that I could impact people's lives in a positive way. And also, while I was in the military, it was the same way. And once I touched the civilian side of cybersecurity, I realized the opportunity for people that look like me. And that made me want to be successful even more because I wanted to figure out a way to get more of my friends, more people back from my hometown to get into the field. Because again, I found purpose, but also found a path. I felt, oh no, I found something that I need to go tell everybody else about. But I would go and try to constantly get people into the field, which is 
which is why I'm so passionate now about, about finding ways to get more people that look like me in the field is because I see an opportunity to have a life of purpose, but also be very successful at it. And it's, and that's my story. It's not the typical path, I don't think, because it was more of I was forced to get into the field, but it's a, a story of the title of a book I recently read that I actually found on the Hacker Valley Studio podcast, which is The Obstacle is the Way. And every time in my life, an obstacle became the way, and that way ended up being cybersecurity, which now I think to solve a lot of the problems we have in society, cybersecurity is the way to do that, to solve a lot of these obstacles. So it's great that we're doing this because I think this is going to inspire hopefully the next generation that doesn't have to shoot a basketball to get out of their hometown. Chris, Ron, I'm so disappointed, man. We could you have gotten more interesting people? That'd be a struggle, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I tried my best. This is all I could get on short oh, notice. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I love these stories because all of these stories are an example of us being here now. When we look back on the stories that you all just told us about, you didn't have a friend that you could just call on and say, hey, can you teach me and put me on with this cybersecurity industry? You had to step into this new world and explore it yourself. And everything, for the most part, was probably unknown. There was a lot of uncertainty. Like for me and my start in cybersecurity, it was on AOL Instant Messenger. I actually got hacked. Someone sent me a file. I opened it and my computer started doing crazy things. My CD-ROM drive started opening up. I couldn't close it because they turned my computer off. And that's always a little awkward. And just like with Tia having to rebuild her home computer, I had to figure out how to get this person to stop messing with my computer before my parents found out how it happened in the first place. Me being in a chat room on AOL and just talking crap with my friends about playoffs, Lakers, Shaq and Kobe and whatnot, and met this random stranger who sent me a file and I opened it and I had to investigate and figure out how to get it, how to stop it. And from there, I had a long stretch of just tinkering. I didn't have anyone that I could say, hey, what do you think of this program? What do you think of this book on technology? I had to really immerse myself into the industry and into learning. And I think that's like a perfect segue to the I for Exist, which is immersion. So I want to hear some stories and some examples about how you all stepped into that world and immersed yourself in it after you explored it. Because there's a lot of uncertainty when you explore a new world. There's a lot of things that you don't know, but you have to be comfortable with that uh, obstacle of not knowing something. AJ mentioned obstacle is the way. I think it's the way. But let's start with you, AJ. How did you navigate around that obstacle? And what did you do? What was your mentality then? I become a little obsessive when I have a goal and it immerses the right way to describe it for me because I literally do everything to consistently just ingest information about whatever it is I was trying to learn. And I'll use an example later on in my career that really changed my life, which was AWS. And I realized at my firm when I left the military that most of our customers were hosted on AWS and none of us who were doing the assessments really knew anything about it. So we were having most of our business here. We're telling people, yeah, you're secure. Here are these reports. You're good to go. And we had no clue what we were doing. So I looked around and realized that it's an opportunity. It was an opportunity for me to become the guy for AWS. All I had to do was learn a little bit and I would have a little bit of a lead to continue to build that. So I decided to go all in. And when, what that means for me is that I'm listening to podcasts. I'm rewatching videos of reInvent. 
I'm even taking away social media apps on my phone and replacing those apps with flashcard apps or other apps that are so that when I go to scroll to go on Instagram, I'm now going to study flashcards about AWS. So immerse is the right word to describe it because what I do is I literally just try to make sure if I'm working out, I'm not listening to music anymore. I'm listening to reInvent videos. I'm just literally putting as much information about whatever that subject is that I'm trying to learn in my brain as possible and doing it repeatedly and not being afraid to fail either. I tried everything. I was on AWS and I would break things. It got to the point where I would only test things in a lab environment that I could get through a cloud guru because I couldn't figure out how to sometimes delete things that I would create. I would put so much security protections on myself. I couldn't even delete the own things that I created. And I'm like, oh, now my credit card's going to be ridiculous. Uh, so I would only do things in lab environments so I could just leave the browser so that if, if I messed anything up. But it's literally just doing whatever you can to say, this is going to be really hard. This is new information. I'm basically learning a new language. So the only way, if you've ever been to a foreign country, really the only way to get comfortable is going out and having no clue what you're saying and just trying to order some food. It will teach you very fast how to communicate. If you're hungry in a foreign country, you will figure out how to order food eventually. <laughs> and that's the way I looked at learning cybersecurity is just, or AWS specifically was, I don't know anything about this, so I'm just gonna keep trying. I'm just gonna keep seeing the same words over and over again, hearing the same things over and over again, and eventually they're gonna click. And it's just that repetition that really decided to go all in and sacrificing, you're not gonna listen to music a little bit. Maybe you're not going to listen to that one podcast, but you listen to a different podcast and that information is going to eventually pick up and it's just compounds over time. Yeah, love that. And I actually just recently stopped listening to music at the gym. Very difficult, but you know what I do? I typically start a little bit of music and then I'll switch it off to a to an audible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what about you, Charles? What are some of the things that you've done while immersing yourself with learning about cybersecurity to remove those obstacles and deal with the immersion process. I have to piggyback off what AJ said. Like when you just immerse, for me, it's like podcasts, 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 books, and actually labs. I would say like when earlier part of my career, when I was more doing like digital forensics and incident response, I had my own labs, had my own different systems, which I would actually go, you know, download malware samples, really look at how they interact with the OS really understand like what they were trying to do, what was the intention. Like my goal before FireEye came to be was actually to be a, a malware analyst. Like I, I love the idea of something coming into your uh, system, acting as a foreign entity and then disrupting it. It, it. it maps to my healthcare like desires in a way because of like you being sick, like what does the body try to do to try to get you better? I saw malware as that thing and me being the antibodies to come in and clean up. So before FireEye came and changed that trajectory because it became more of like a commodity at that point to do malware analysis at scale. I was like, okay, I had my own labs. I had sandboxing technology. I was looking at escaping, like all those things that really intrigued me. So once that happened, I said, oh, I need to make a shift in terms of what other things I can do inside of incident response and detection engineering. And that's when I started looking at the cloud. Like for me, that was very interesting. I never heard of this thing called AWS, but out in the West Coast, everyone was talking about it. But in the DOD, we were still talking about this data centers and building out more data centers. And like, yeah, but they're building on this thing called AWS and all these primitives on top of AWS. So that's the reason why I came out West was to really understand how do you do detection and incident response in cloud environments? Like when you don't own the, the bare metal machine and the infrastructure, like what are the things that you can start to do and get that uh, additional telemetry about like adversaries or the health and system, the health 
of your systems in that infrastructure. So that to me was like spending more time and learning about AWS, like opening up my own AWS account, the billing of AWS accounts, and understanding what happens when you have long running instances and, and, and doing high performance like transactions and you get that surprise bill and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't put resource limits on things. So understanding all those things about how to be immersed, you know, trial and error, like you can't, I, I see to you the, the background, you can't be afraid to fail. It's the only way you succeed. You got to at least take the option to take the shot. If you don't even give yourself to give you the option to take the shot, you will fail. So for me, it was just like this voracious get all the content, read all the content, try the content, write my own reports for myself. Because part of it is also how do I translate this into a way that feels comfortable for me to explain it to somebody else? That was like the sort of mantra I had in my mind was like, if I had to explain this to somebody else, how would I do it? So I did a lot of my own malware reports as a way to help me think about communicating this stuff. Because I going back to what Kelvin said, like the people part is just as important in this whole cybersecurity domain. Like the scale as to what we are in terms of the users that use these products and on the internet dwarfs us. So we have to create experiences and environments that support the user to make those right decisions or understand the trade-offs of those decisions. So I think for me, like the immersion part is podcast, content, redoing it in a safe lab environment. And then from there, communicating that out to others to make sure that I understand it enough to explain it to somebody else. There's a lot of parallels. I think you and AJ have, like you guys both left your opportunities working with government organizations or the military and decided to switch it up and focus on the cloud. And I'll never forget the quote that your wife said, go out to the to the limb because that's where the fruit's at. A lot of people are afraid to open up an AWS account because they're like, hey, what if I have a $300 bill? It's, you need to learn how to manage your resources. Exactly. Every, every person that's ever played with AWS got that bad bill, but it's a good learn. You learn from that first time. You learn quickly. I'll pass it over to you, Tia. How did you immerse yourself? What were some of the obstacles that came up and how did you navigate your way around those obstacles when you were in the immersion process? Similar to AJ, I'm, I'm an athlete. So anything I train for, I train like an athlete. So I'm big on go hard or go home. I'm going to do this thing or I'm not going to do this thing. So part of my process when deciding whether or not I'm going to do something because I know how I am once I get into it is <clears throat> making sure I understand my why, like, why am I doing this? What is my desired outcome? Because once you get into it and it starts to get hard, you got to remind yourself why you're doing it, or you'll start to go down the wrong path, or you'll just get off track altogether. And then in addition to that, I'm honest with myself about who I am, where I am, what my resources are, what my challenges may be, uh, et cetera, because entering into immersion without being realistic about those things is automatically setting yourself up for failure. And then obviously taking a no fear approach can't be afraid to fail. And to me, I've accepted failure as part of the process. I literally believe I can't be successful without failing because there's a lesson in all failures. So some of the obstacles that, that I had when I was uh, making the transition were things like not knowing where to go, not knowing what to do, not being able to afford education, formal training. And even if I had been able to afford those things, what would I even focus on? Because when you're in a position where your financial resources are limited, making the wrong decision is costly, right? And it's discouraging mm -hmm. and it can put you in a place where you don't even want to. First starting out when I immersed myself in technology in general, I learned very quickly to be resourceful. 
Here's what I want to do. Now I have to figure out how to get it done. And I started to build labs with computers from Goodwill and PCs for dummies and networking for dummies and cheap routers and cheap switches. So when organizations are moving to hundred megabit connectivity, I'll take those 10 megabit switches. They'll do what I need them to do. And so that is how I got what I needed to level up my game. And then pivoting into cybersecurity, the challenges there are just no one looked like me. So who am I going to get guidance from? Also, no one looks like me. Can I even be successful? Is this realistic? Should I even be here? But once I decide that I'm going to go down a path and charge toward a goal, failure is not an, it's not an option. So I had to figure it out, right? Um, and I had to find a way and it was just me. It was grit. I don't have this magic 10 steps to becoming who you want to be. It was just grit. <laughs> I refuse to quit. And as far as resources and how I learned, that was a challenge for me as well. I didn't know why back then, but I've never been able to read a, a whole book. I've never enjoyed reading books. I can't listen to books. And I was recently uh, diagnosed with ADHD, which totally explained mm -hmm. that to me. I can grab information on the wild like this, but sit me down and, and try to get me to grasp it in like a controlled setting. And it just wouldn't happen. And so what I chose to do was focus on the concepts that I needed to learn, like what's in the book, what are the high level topics? And I'll go out and pull the research from videos, from webinars, uh, from whatever I can get my hands on. But I think the thing I latched on to the most was being in conversations with individuals that knew more than I did. I pushed myself to always make sure I was in a setting where I wasn't the smartest person in the room because I didn't want to be my own ceiling. And you get one time to introduce a concept to me or ask me a question that I don't know. I'm going to say I don't know. And you're going to, you can explain it to me. And even if you don't, I'm going to go out and research it. If you do, I'm going to go out and research it because you might be wrong, but that'll be the one and only time that I don't know that concept and curiosity, I believe is what made me who I am because I'll go research the thing. And then the thing about the thing and then the thing about the thing, right. And you just learn more and more. And as you learn, you become more confident to try even more. And that's just what continued to, to propel me forward. And eventually I could afford resources like education, certification, and I had relationships. So I knew where to go, but starting out, it was just a lot of grit to even get to a point where I was level set and, and had some kind of path to pursue. In, in cybersecurity, we have all these little facets. Like we were talking about threat intelligence. Charles was talking about malware analysis. So there's a lot of times where like you step into cybersecurity, it's a new world. And then you, you learn about these facets or these tenets of cybersecurity. And you have to step into the new world again and then reimmerse yourself and learn. And one of my favorite books is Managing Oneself by Peter F. Drucker. It's a Harvard Business Review book. And he talks about different types of learners. Like some people are readers. Some people can just sit down and read a book. Some people are listeners where they're like, okay, if you just speak to me, I'll retain this information. But then there's all these other types of learners that need videos, learners that need to speak at another person to retain that information. A lot of presidents were actually like that and they have their staff and the way they learn is by speaking at their staff and that's how they retain their information. But it's good that you had that insight on yourself to say, I'm not going to learn this way. I'm going to figure out what is the best way and go out to the limb and get the, the resources the way that you need it. 
Kelvin, I'm interested to hear about your immersion because you weren't focused on the bits and bytes. You were coming at it from a different angle, which is the people. So let's hear yeah. about that process for you and any obstacles. I, I, I must say, I really am rethinking joining this panel. There's <laughs> 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 some heavyweights here. I listen to Tia's story. I'm like, oh my God, so talented. And, and Charles, AJ is incredible. Pleased to be here. Yeah, I, I did it totally backwards. I, I really did, Ron, as you're pointing out, when I was with the Department of Homeland Security, focused on something completely different and was asked to do this cyber thing with state and local government to be that coordinating mechanism. And just like AJ, just like Charles, just like Tia, I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to do it well. And, and, and so I always understood I'd never be probably the top expert in the bits and bytes, the ones and zeros. But there's a whole ecosystem that surrounds that stuff. If you think about the healthcare system, yes, getting to healthcare, going to medical school to become a doctor or a nurse is one avenue. But there's a whole ecosystem around healthcare that needs support. And, and certainly, I was going to be that person who says, you know what, I'm going to be that primary one and immerse myself uh, in this area. For example, when we would go out and brief a governor, no one was going to know more about that state than me including the governor. I wanted to make sure we were meeting the idiosyncrasies of that state because you know, every state is created differently. When you've seen one state, you've seen one state. And while the bad actors and cyber malicious actors are coming with some of the same tools, techniques, we had to talk to the states in a different way. And so I immersed myself in making sure I understood exactly the motivations of that governor, uh, whoever he or she happened to be. I wanted to go to Denmark, South Carolina, not Denmark in Europe. My colleagues all wanted to do the European, the, the more exciting, sexy thing. I was pretty excited to go to Topeka, Kansas, uh, to figure out what's happening there. Salem, Oregon, not even Portland, what the state capital is. So I ended up going to all these state capitals and immersing myself in the culture of that state. Because again, you know, if this was just a technical issue, as Tia talked about her love of cybersecurity, if cybersecurity was just a technical issue, we could have solved this a long time ago. No, it is an issue where we have to take all of these things in consideration as well. And that's where I became really someone who uh, specialized in that, knowing how to uh, make sure I immerse myself in the details that went beyond the bits and bytes, ones and zeros, which, which was pretty fun. One thing I, I know throughout the department, I was known as knowing where not only every state capital, please don't quiz me today. I, I have <laughs> but this idea, what's the state motto? What's the state bird? What's the state? And those little things, when we got into those classified briefings, you would think not important at all. I was usually the one who was chopping it up, if you will, with the governor before we began that classified briefing, putting him or her at ease that this team actually knows about my state. They're not coming in just with their one pager that they have for every single jurisdiction, but they actually have crafted a solution for us. Now, mind you, when CIA and FBI started their briefing, it's probably the same briefing, right, from state to state, but it, we at least gave that person the idea that we were interested in their state, which is where I really started to immerse myself I haven't abandoned that. When a company joins the National Cybersecurity Alliance, I want to know everything I can about that company, the origins, the person, the, you know, where, how they got into cyber. It, it, it's been an incredible experience, I think, and an invaluable tool that we underutilize. 
making sure that we know all we can about that subject. Very last thing I'll say, a mentor of mine, William Clyburn, who's here, not the congressman, but the congressman's nephew, actually. Uh, he's here in Washington, D.C., he once told me to make sure that a person knows that their page in the book, that you've read that and that you understand that. And then once you start talking about cyber, perhaps they'll take it a, a, a bit easier or certainly understand it a bit more and certainly trust you a lot more because you've taken the time to immerse yourself into their background. So many powerful philosophies about immersion. I'm reminded of a story when I was in Silicon Valley. I just moved for Netflix and I'm living in this big $2.5 million house. And I'm not saying that to boast, but I'm saying it to give you context. I remember ordering food and the person that was delivering my food was a young black man. And he knocks on the door and I open it and he's in awe. He's, he's taken aback. And uh, I'm puzzled. I'm like, hey, thanks for delivering the food. And he says, hey, do you play in the NFL? <laughs> and here we are in the middle of innovation and technology in Silicon Valley. But his immediate thought was that I play football. I couldn't be in tech because I'm a black man as well. And we think about immersion. We think about this, the sentiment that in order for us to get out of where we are, out of the, the inner city or out of our socioeconomic status, much like AJ thought when he was young, that we either have to entertain folks or we have to be in sports. And there's nothing wrong with having those dreams. But I think it's important for us to understand that there are other avenues of excellence. There are other avenues for success and financial freedom. How do we let other people know that this is an avenue? There are other avenues of excellence. Chris knows that this is like probably one of my big passion topics, and I'm probably going to look at it from a different angle. So the last time I checked, like the average Black American family median income is 41000 a year, plus or minus, I'll give 5%. And if you look at the field of cybersecurity in terms of, I look at it as a wealth generator for people of color. And going off to your point here about the entitlement sense of, hey, I got the certification, I, I, I don't have a job. Like, where, how does that happen? Aside of me, it was like, there are probably people on the other end of the spectrum for which they get a certification and there's already a, a job lined up for them. How do I, how do I as an engineering leader who has a position to hire people support people that don't look like me, people that look like me. Like, how do I build that pathway? I, you know, we have conversations about pipelines, CS degrees, and all these other things. But when it comes down to actually making the tan tangible transition between, okay, the average salary in the cybersecurity field in comparison to what the average um, African-American family of four makes historically, mm -hmm. like that gap in and of itself is huge. So I'm, like a side of me is approaching it from what are the motivations and this, the incentives for promoting cybersecurity as a, an alternative to, to the, I would say, what we are known for historically in terms of sports, entertainment, et cetera. And so I've been trying to figure out having the hard conversation around, no, I actually want to be specific. I'm like, I'm looking for black folks that are want to get into this field. And I want to figure out a way to get you into this career so that you can get the funds to help the people that you love that are around you. Because I believe it's one of the few reasons why, given the opportunity that I've had, that I can actually say it's been more so technical, but the financial opportunities about being in this space and talking to other people have been mind-blowing. Like, I get the technical aspects of cybersecurity and what it does, but I also see the enablement of the financial aspect in terms of what it can do for the people. And going back to, to, to Kelvin's point about, like, the people element, like, 
I am a big advocate for the promotion of Black economic empowerment. And I saw cybersecurity as that way for me. And I'm seeing it even so more. So I'm like, how do you decrease that barrier of this thing looks nerdy or this thing is not cool? Because I remember I'm six foot five, 295. And I remember, you know, doing it, being in a computer lab, learning C plus and Pascal. And people are looking at me like, why are you here? Shouldn't you be <laughs> on the football team? And, and I was like, no, I actually enjoy this. And, and, and I enjoyed it in a way that like I immersed myself into learning it. But I don't want this panel here to be the abnormal. Mm. Like yeah. the, the, I, I can I would probably go on a limb and say probably we all make more than the, the median. I'll I, I just put that out there. <laughs> Technically, we are abnormal in terms of that statement alone. And that to me is worrisome because of the fact that in order to have a voice, some of that is backed up by your economic position. And so like AJ mentioned, like it's another path. I'm just trying to figure out how do we make that path more available, knowing that some of the resources that exist in some of our communities don't even provide stable internet, let alone library foundations so that people, if they wanted to go, they can't get on their mobile. They can't even check out the physical book, let alone have a library lab for which they wanted to go try to program to actually go program on. And, and I'll parallel it to what's going on right now with the remote learning. There are probably some school districts and some kids that are probably being left behind. Even if we were talking about physical schooling, let alone taking on top of that the, the Internet that's required for remote learning and then the actual PC that needs to be used for the remote learning. So I look at cybersecurity, if given the right foundations for an individual to at least be above the median, and, and which is why I'm such a big advocate for pushing like, hey, like, hey, you don't have to be a programmer. There's governance, there's compliance, there's um, audits, there's developers, there's the people side. There's so many aspects of this field that makes it so amazing. This umbrella is big. There, there's a role for everyone in there. It's just how do we get those skill sets to the front? And then I look at this group here as leaders. How do we bring people in and give them that top cover to grow them? Because I, I would go on to say that there are probably other groups that say, hey, you get that thing, I'll figure out a way to get you in. They don't worry about that. You just go and do what you need to do, and I got your back. But sometimes when we talk amongst our group, it's like, I got to make sure you know everything first before I put my name out on the line for you. And I'm like, can we just get you in, and then we'll figure out how I can protect you and you do what you need to do? I'm just trying to figure, like, how do we decrease that barrier there? Let's just get you in. Because the bag will help set up other things, and then we can figure out all the other things together. If we're truly about this community of all in it together, bootstraps and everything else you want to talk about. But I'm just putting that out there more as like a, an alternative view of the experience. Charles, I could not agree with you more because you don't have a lot of tears growing on the trees out there in terms of this, this mine for it in, in cybersecurity. And certainly the AJs who had this, this great opportunity in military, and then he took that opportunity and went to the nth degree and really maximized. And certainly you, Charles, just that ability that you have in terms of the technical pieces. That's why I'm such a big advocate, to your point, Charles, of making sure folks understand this umbrella, in, in your words, 
is a big umbrella. This ecosystem is a big ecosystem. I literally just hired a marketing and communications graduate who had some classes in cybersecurity and some experiences with her previous firm in cybersecurity and knows how to talk about it and knows how to write it up for me and write it up for our uh, one pagers and our tip sheets and everything we do for the public. I would venture to say that folks who are so steeped in technology, sometimes they have a hard time communicating that. And I think it was AJ was talking about the foreign language, perhaps. Sometimes it's hard to communicate that to the layperson. I hired this young lady who knows enough about cybersecurity, but has this expertise in marketing and, and, and communication, who's able to take it to that next degree. And trust me, I paid a lot more than that medium that we were talking about. And so we have these other opportunities that people should be able to take advantage of if they have expertise in something else. I, I meant, as all of us do, mentor this young man who business school doing really well. And I told him, so listen, you have to be able to understand technology and cybersecurity as well. Here's some classes you need to take, make it your elective, make it your minor, make it your whatever. Because if you're talking about the future, forget about it, right? This is not just the future, this is the now. And the one stat I give people is that, you know, five years ago, 15 billion connected devices around the world right? You know, today, 2021, that increased by about five, five billion. So 20 billion today. So 15 billion five years ago, 20 billion connected devices today. In the same time period, in the next five years, estimated to be a conservatively 60 billion connected devices. So we're going to go from the internet of things to the internet of everything. And this panel knows all too well, artificial intelligence, conversational platforms, uh, robotics, quantum computing. Here's an opportunity. And I think Charles said it so well in terms of this can be wealth generated relative to where we are now. It can really get some folks in the right position in life. So I'm a big advocate in that. If you can't learn Python in, in three months, what is your skill level? Because in this ecosystem of cybersecurity, there's probably a place for you. The last example I've given, Charles, I think we're both familiar with FireEye. I knew some folks who were on the business side who knew cybersecurity enough that they made some nice commissions and selling some systems to the government and to private sector. And so if you have skill levels elsewhere, that's okay. There's still space in here for you. Now, I don't want to discourage those folks who have that deep technical skills too now. That's the prime. That's where you really want to be. But this umbrella is big, as Charles was saying, for other folks to come into as well. Charles, you were saying, uh, you, you're thinking through like, how do we change this? How do we fix it? And I think it's to what you were saying too, as a hiring manager, uh, you are unapo uh, unapologetically hiring black people. So I think the onus is on us um, here in this panel. If we are in positions to hire people, we have to give people the advantages that we didn't get. I don't want to hire a little me. I don't want to hire someone that's already went through the journey that I went through. I want to hire somebody that was at the start of the journey that I was on three years ago and give them that chance. So I think it it really comes down to us and, and all of the other folks that look like us that have made it through that we have to reach back. And it's not just get back one. We have it on us to get a whole lot because we were the ones that barely made it through. So we have a whole lot of responsibility, yes, to go back and get the next generation. But if we do it right, it does become a wealth generator. It does become a thing that has changed the shape of our people in this country for centuries to come. If all of us that have made it over here to the quote unquote promised land are able to pull some more back of our people into the field.
I'm going to venture to say I'm probably the elder statesman in this group, notwithstanding, notwithstanding gray hair, which I started graying when I was 25. We'll go there. But I said that to, I said all that to say that your point about we're still in the infancy of, of this technology revolution. We really are. If you think about the first cyber event, which I, I realize it wasn't technically a, a cyber event. It was Y2K, 1999. Will the clocks think when it becomes the year 2000? Will they think it's the year 1900 or 2000? I think the public sort of awoke to this idea that, oh, wow, technology is pretty important to what we do. That was 20 short years ago. 20 short years ago. Think about where we've come from in 20 short years. Now, we all know that the last 20 years, the technology revolution was incredible. But in the next 20 years, the technology evolution is going to absolutely humongous compared to the last 20 years. The last 20 years is going to seem like compared to the growth that we're going to see. So AJ, I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of now it's just a great time. It's not too late. And then there's other stuff where people often talks about, you know, I'm too old to do this or you know, even I'm too young to do this. And I got time to think about it. Uh, now, now it's a good time because this technology evolution is not going to be slowing down anytime soon. In terms of what we can do to help our youth, I think represent, representation is important. Just seeing more individuals that look like them successful doing something other than playing a, a, a sport or being in other uh, roles that are perceived as common. When I say we need representation, but there needs to be more of us kind of raising our hands saying, I figured it out. I'm going to help you figure it out. I'm going, to, I'm going to help you avoid the pitfalls that I went through. I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to open doors for you. I'm going to show you how to be prepared when I open those doors for you. And everything we're talking about here is literally the reason I started my organization. It's focused on women of color, but for me, that's who I represent. And that's where, where my reach will have the greatest impact because I am them and I came from where they are. And my organization is just there to, to the earlier point that was made to provide cover. Come in here, let's talk about it so that when you go out there, you're getting all this knowledge in here and the language, the expectations that are going to, that's going to be out there um, waiting for you. And what that does to the point of that AJ made, I don't want to bring in someone that's already there. I want to bring in someone that's trying to get there. That creates a, a sense of loyalty that is unmatched. And, and I experienced that. The first individual that gave me my shot, my first part-time junior systems and, and network admin role, when I had one little A-plus certification and no official experience on my resume other than some moonlighting I did when I was learning. When I got that shot, I was loyal to that organization even beyond uh, probably what I should have been. And then beyond the loyalty, they've experienced it and want to turn around and give it back to someone else. So it creates a, a ripple effect and it just begins to expand. So I just think, I just wanted to say that because it's so important to lift as we climb. Tia, can I ask you a question? Do you think there's a uh, dearth of people of color in general, but women of color, African-American women, what's your sense there in terms of African-American women coming into this uh, field. If I only look at our panel, God bless Chris Enron for putting this together, period. But one, you know, African-American woman. What do you see as the opportunities there for African-American women? So two sides to the coin, right? The struggle for African-American women is tough. And some of it is external. 
because there's the woman aspect of it. Women in general are, are still struggling to have a voice and a seat at the table in tech in general. And then you add to that the African-American element and there's just a whole nother can of worms uh, that opens up. However, it's a good time to be a black woman in the cybersecurity space because everyone <laughs> is focused on it. So now's the time to just jump on it. I started my organization, Empower Cybersecurity, just to get women to come in and let's figure it out. What I didn't expect mm -hmm. was all the organizations that would be hitting us up. Hey, heard you got these people. How can we work together? And I'm like, wow, this is real. And it's, it, again, it's not easy, but now is absolutely the time because I feel like for the first time, not in a long time ever, organizations are, are looking for us and I'm making it my business to make sure we're ready to answer the call. I'm from a matriarchal family and it baffled me. And I had to do some learning because I was just ignorant at how disenfranchised the black woman is in an in industry, how disenfranchised black women in technology and even cybersecurity. So everything that you're doing with Empower is incredible. And I, I think you are the perfect person to, to push that forward and enlist these people and bring the, this group of powerful women together. I wasn't near as good an uh, athlete as Tia or AJ. I thought I was going to dance myself out of poverty. This is where I learned to study. I, I was a terrible traditional student. I didn't like these constructs. That You come in, you memorize these facts, you take a test, and you move on to the next thing. I couldn't stand it. I was terrible at it. But I really found out how to study as I became a dancer. How do I learn these different dance styles and these different techniques? And how do you break them down to their smaller components? And so as you move from immersion, surrounding yourself by the the imagery, the concepts of this world that you're discovering, how do you move from the passive immersion to the act of studying, the learning, the meta-learning? That's where I really learned how to learn. And that's how I learned cybersecurity, is I used my dance background to learn cybersecurity, to learn computers, to learn how to, to do analysis and intelligence. AJ, first, I wanted to ask you, what advice would you have for folks that want to learn better, that want to study cybersecurity better? What advice do you have for them? And what also would you ask of the group here? Because I know that as a craftsperson, as a person that's constantly getting better, you never rest on your laurels. You're not like, I'm the king of learning, so I don't have anything to learn. But what would you ask of this group? Yeah, I love to think about focusing and studying and just going at something. And, and my advice is to focus and to ignore the results. And I'm going to expand on both of those. The focus part is following a principle that I followed for a while now to learn something. And it's the 90-91 rule. And it's taking 90 days, spending the first 90 minutes of your day focusing on one thing, turning off Slack, turning off your messages, don't check your emails, don't even don't look at anything else before you even start it. Especially if you do it right in the morning, just get up and get after that one thing for 90 days. And you will just be surprised at the amount that you will learn, absorb and accomplish by just focusing 90 minutes on a singular thing. And that focus is so important when you're studying and learning a new concept. It goes back into immersion, but this is the act now. Because you immerse yourself in this industry, you're listening to the podcast, you're reading these things, but how are you digesting it in that focused manner? How are you able to say for the next 90 minutes from 6 a.m. till 7.30 a.m., I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to check my email. I'm not going to check LinkedIn. I'm not going to go have breakfast. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to drink water. And I'm going to stare at this computer. And I don't care how frustrated I get. And I'm going to show up again the next day and do it. And I'm going to do that for 90 days straight. 
And, and that focus, that commitment for those 90 days, I have not met anyone that has tried this and hasn't had a transformational experience to where at the end of those 90 days, the amount of things that they got done, and some of them, they had to move on to another thing because they got the first thing done so fast um, because they were so focused. So focus is the number one thing. And the second part is ignore the results. Whenever I'm trying something new, I ignore the results for the first 90 days. I don't care about how it's working. I don't care if I see anything, any improvements. I don't care about any of that. All I care about is going through those first 90 days, get it done for three months, and then start worrying about the results. Because too often, we give ourselves too short of time. We try to say, I'm going to do this in three weeks. Most of the time, especially in cybersecurity, it's very hard. It takes time. There's a learning curve, a steep learning curve. So three weeks down the line, you're frustrated. You're like, I thought I would know this by now. I I read on this podcast that I'd be a pen tester in three weeks. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen that way. So ignore the results. Ignore the fact that you're going to sleep and you can't figure out anything. I remember when I was first learning how to program and I spent seven hours and I could not figure out for the life of me how to do one thing. Woke up the next morning and I was missing a comma somewhere. Just one comma that, that caused me seven hours of pain the day before. And it made me so much better. And it made me want to try even more the next day because I realized it was just a minor mistake. It wasn't like I didn't know anything. And too often we quit because we're focused on the results. We're focused on the fact that we didn't achieve something when all you had to do is show back up the next day. So ignore the results for those first 90 days. And for everybody here on the panel, I think the thing that we can do that will help normalize folks getting into this field, especially when they're studying, is normalized failure. We have to show them that we fail too, that despite whatever our titles say, despite whatever it is that we we may look to the outside, is we struggle with the same things that you struggle with. I struggle very, just so much with imposter syndrome. Whenever I'm about to do something really technical, I don't think I have the technical chops to do it. I'm just like, somebody eventually is going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing. And I struggle with imposter syndrome. So if you're just starting out in cybersecurity and you're like, this is crazy, I'm never going to learn any of this stuff, I struggle with it too. I failed certifications. I've lost deals um, as a young CEO of a company to my competitors. Failure is normal. Failure is a part of the process. And more people, especially the younger folks that are coming into this field, because we all know when we were first starting how foreign it was and how hard it was. You have to know that failure is coming. You are going to fail. You're going to mess something up. It's going to be very difficult. But guess what? We fell too. And we still fail, even at the stage that we're currently at. So I think for us, it's important to show the journey, to show the fact that the journey's hard, even when you're here. And, and that once you make it into cybersecurity, you're just getting started. Because all of us here will say, I think you all will agree, the more you learn about cybersecurity, the more you, the less you realize that this is way too much. You don't know anything um, about anything that's going on in this field. So the once you get into cybersecurity and like, yeah, I made it, you're just getting started. You're starting back at scratch again, and you have to become this lifelong learner in this field where you're just constantly pursuing more information. And if we show people that it's the journey that matters, it's that constant trying every day, no matter what level you're at, I think that's going to help the next generation because they're inevitably going to fail. We all are going to fail. We're going to continue to fail. They're going to fail in their journey, but it's okay um, because the next step, what you do after the failure is really what matters. What would you ask uh, the people on the call about learning, how they learn? What question would you want to ask these, these brilliant folks on the call? We often talked about mentors, right, in this industry, but it's hard to talk to a mentor sometimes. So how have you had anybody on the call, mentors that you didn't speak to, mentors from afar in the industry that you were able to learn from? If you, someone can give an example or just talk about how you've learned from people that 
you may not meet, but you have seen that look like you and, and, and derive some inspiration and motivation from? One of my mentors is Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is an absolute master at breaking down topics and making them seeming, they, they seem simple. And he even has a masterclass on masterclass.com. And he breaks down topics about being a storyteller. He talks about, he went through this process, this journey of learning about science and learning about astronomy and how everything works together. And he breaks things down. And I just, I look at his method. I, I look at his method. I've never spoken to him. I've never seen him in person. I look at his method of describing technical things f for anyone. You may be surprised. Uh, the person who's inspired me most in technology is not in technology. <laughs> Isabella Wilkerson, author. Isabella Wilkerson, The Warmth Above the Suns was literally life-changing for me. It, it was. And you can rarely say that about things in life. I think it's overused a lot of times. Oh, I had a great dinner with my friend. It was life-changing. No, it was just a great dinner. But this book really was for me because she pointed out the, the journey that African-Americans had post-Civil War. Why was that inspiring and encouraging for me? Because it put a burden on me to make good their sacrifice. And it really inspired me to say, I really need to be the very best I can in every situation I can, particularly, again, as it relates to cyber. And when you don't necessarily have uh, the technical sh chops that everyone on this call uh, that you have, you want to do the very best you can to support your skill set and what you are great at and bring that to the fore. The National Cybersecurity Alliance has been a great organization. They hired me, and, and I, I absolutely give them tremendous credit for that. And since that time, I've been able to hire other people of color to come in and do the job of cybersecurity. And, the, and these are technical folks who are able to really focus. And so Isabella Wilkerson, for me, has been that person who's just really laid it down and said, Kelvin, you now have to make good on the sacrifice that those people did 50, 60, 70 years ago. I have a question on the flip side of this. Who has been instrumental in your life from the ally perspective that has helped you along your journey and helped get you to where you are today? For me, it's my best friend, Travis Razik. He's he, we both met each other as part of the DOD Information Assurance Scholarship Program, and he went to West Virginia University, which was the same university where I was born at. So, like, we had this, like, these this weird connections, and he was, I think, just understanding about the game of security and the game of just life. And he was like, when I first bought my house, I actually talked to him about what do I need to do. Like, he, he, he was, because he, he's already did it, and he was the only friend that I knew that actually was looking at buying a house. When I got my first job, he helped me in terms of negotiating the salary and everything else and understanding what bonus requirements are versus stock options and everything else. Like he's been like the resource that I've leaned on to help understand like where am I at and what are the things I need to do? Like he holds me accountable in terms of like protecting yourself and the evidence of perish from this earth and your family's okay. Like he is always on my 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 back on saying you need to make sure you're doing these things not just to better yourself, but also protect the loved ones around you. So as an ally, like Bill Mountaineers, because he's been a great friend in terms of just holding me accountable to the things that I need to do. And then also I've taken that wisdom and shared it to everyone else. Like I, I have, I'm an open book. I just tell everyone what I know. And going back to like, how do we be better and share that information? He's given me the opportunity to have insights and conversations about money, finances, cybersecurity that I didn't have before meeting folks like you all 
and in other groups that I've, I'm, I'm a part of. So I would say Travis has been a great ally in terms of holding me accountable, the information that he's dispensed to me, and then following up and saying, like, how are you helping others with it yourself? My ally also doubles as, as a mentor, I think. So like I said, I've been in IT security for about 20 years. And my first introduction to the idea of a mentor was two years ago. So I've just been going at it on my own, figuring it out for that long. And the CEO of my current company, Ecent Tired, saw something in me and made sure I knew it and actually said, I, I want to mentor you. And it wasn't about me having potential or him wanting to, to shape my career to do uh, certain things for the company. It really was just genuine. You're so talented and you have so much to offer and we want to get you over the tip of your skis so you can show what you've got. And so I think in that respect, it becomes almost a spon you know, sponsorship as well, because he's putting me in these uh, positions to be successful. I don't know. I don't know if I said his name, but his name is, is Carrie Bailey. And another thing that, that I enjoy about the relationship I have with him is something that is really important to me as being the type of leader that I would want to follow. And he embodies everything that I would want in a leader to the point of being transparent and encouraging and caring about the individual. Like he doesn't just talk to me about work. He teases me about football and, and in our corporate meetings, talks about how I used to be a linebacker and how he's afraid of me and all these things like that. And he, and he makes it fun. And then being transparent, not trying to pull the wool over or over your eyes, just being real and bringing my whole self with me everywhere I go is important to me. And I see that in him. And, and sometimes I think I'm transparent to a fault, right? Like when AJ was speaking about how we should all talk about our failures, I fully believe in that. So every time I have the opportunity, I talk about how my LinkedIn bio bothers me because it says all these great things about me. She's got a bachelor's, she's got two masters, she's pursuing a PhD. But what it doesn't say is that I'm a four-time college dropout and that I struggle to learn because I can't learn in a classroom setting and I can't read a book. And, and those are things that I think are really important because someone else is also going through that. So tying it back to the online mentorship piece, I think that what's most valuable about that relationship, other than the fact that he just volunteered to do it, and I'm just not used to that, especially as a black woman, someone just doing something just because not wanting anything and it coming from a good place and it's going to make me better. Hold on a second. All those things are a little strange, but also being relatable is really is really important. We've all found ourselves yeah. here in this conversation because of some of the things that we've done. We've had a lot of you on the podcast. We talked, we found you through LinkedIn. You guys are constantly at the top of our LinkedIn or we see you at conferences. And I'm sure there's so many people that want to be mentored by you. Like we talk about the mentee mentor relationship. There's probably a lot of people that reach out to you all and want to get the information that's in your mind. And one of the mentors that's an ally to me is this gentleman named Jim Quick. And he talks about if you teach it, you get to learn it twice. And the T in exist is translate or transform. It's the taking that information, that wisdom that you've discovered and internalized and turning it into language and putting language behind it. And from my perspective, Tia, you are an absolute expert and one gathering information, but then translating it. You're 
teaching football, you're teaching the next wave of cybersecurity professionals. So I think like you are a true practitioner of that last step and existing, but you also go back to the E and start exploring again. So what are some of the ways that you operate as a mentor? How do you take that information and disperse as wide as you can so we can bring in the next wave of women of color, men of color, and really anyone that's interested in cybersecurity? I think my approach to mentorship is the same as my approach to securing organizations and my my company's approach to what we do for environments. And that's just taking the noise out of it all, right? Cybersecurity is really complex, whether you're practicing it or learning it. Practicing it, we've got all these tools, they're making all this noise. What do I do with this information? And then for someone coming into the field, there's literally no shortage of resources. You can go to 50 conferences a day, 30 webinars a day. You can go online and read until your eyes bleed. But what matters? It just becomes information overload. So what I do is I look for trends in the information that's out there. If if I were looking at this information for the first time and combine that with where I am and what I've learned, what of this do I actually care about? What of this do I need to, to drill into? And then so from a presentation of information perspective, whether it's to a player, an employee, a mentee, it's, listen, there's all this stuff, yes. And you're gonna wanna dig into that at some point, but here's where you start. Here's what's, here's what's important. And I take that same approach in, in, in mentor-mentee conversations, but I start them by making sure all of my mentees know I can only be as helpful as you allow me to be. You can't come into a mentor session and say, I want to be a cybersecurity professional. Well, what does that mean? The more specific you are with me, the more specific I can be with you. And so if the beginning of that conversation is I'm not really sure, then okay, let's chop it up and we'll draw some themes out of that conversation and then we can have some guidance. But I think that maybe my, I guess, superpower within all of that is just taking all this and, and turning it into this, making it digestible and usable and repeatable. And that's how we, we can grow it. That's uh, that's also my superpower is taking information and translating it to other people. But I think from what I've learned, these superpowers, they also have kryptonites. And one of my pieces of kryptonite, my core emotional challenge is not having my value understood. When I take this information mm-hmm. and distill it to my mentees and then nothing happens and they follow up and I'm like, hey, what did you do with this information? They're like, I didn't do anything with it. Do you ever have that core emotional challenge like I do, or do you handle it differently? I think for any of us that are in the mentor role, one of the hardest things, at least for me, was detaching myself from the outcomes of my mentee and and thinking, I gave them all this advice. I poured so much into them. I I gave them all these things and the results are not there. And, And you start to think maybe that's an indictment on you. And I think it goes back to not necessarily that you're, it might be emotions, but I think it's our passion that starts there where we want to help people. We want to get them into this field and we're like, we're here is the way to go here. Just go, just walk that way and you're going to make it. And they go walk the other way. And you're just sitting there like, what's going on here? And one of the things that I've learned is to detach my advice, detach the outcomes of my advice from the advice. I'm still pour myself in 100% into providing that guidance as a mentor and then being able to leave it there and, and, and taking the emotions out of it, knowing that your emotions don't 
they don't belong there. It's not a, it's not about how you feel. It's about give them the information you wish you had, give them the tools they need to succeed. And then hopefully they take it and go succeed because um, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to help as many people as we want to. Even though in my role now as a co-founder and CEO of a company, my whole reason for doing this was impact, was to see how many people can I impact? How many people can I bring up that look like me? And I'm not going to be able to hire every single Black person that I know, that I mentor into Check. It's just not possible. I wish it was, but it's not. So I have to learn to be able to say, I'm going to give everything that I can and if the outcome that I think should happen from that doesn't happen, it's not my fault. And it's not even that men, men, that mentee's fault. Maybe it's just not the right time for them. Maybe there's there, certain times in life for things and, and timing is very important that I've learned just over time. And it goes back to, to my daily practice of meditation, I think, to, t- to detach myself from any outcome, really, and just focus on the process, focus on the relationship. When I'm mentoring a mentee, I always end one of my conversations with my mentees with a do-out. I give them something to do and they can't have a meeting follow up we meeting with me until they complete that thing. I say, hey, book that meeting once you've accomplished X. Um, and if I get another meeting, cool, we're going to talk about what you've accomplished. If I don't, I don't. But I don't go. I don't. Once I leave that meeting, I'm not sitting there waiting for the meeting. Um, that's on them to see if they want to go accomplish that goal. And that, that's helped me detach. But I think it's really hard, especially when you care so much about the person on the other end. And they don't go do what you told them to do. It pains you, not because you think you're giving the greatest advice ever, but you were once them. And you were once in their shoes and you're like, you have more than I had and I made it here. So I know if you do what I'm saying, you'll be able to get there. And and, and it's definitely difficult, but I think we have to detach ourselves from outcomes so that we can help more people and so they can continue to give back. There was a saying that my mom used to tell me growing up. She used to say, you don't have to touch fire to know that it's hot. And hearing, AJ, your story just reminded me of a time like talking to like mentees and telling them like, hey, this is information. How you choose to process and use with it is up to your own accord, whether it's not just getting into cybersecurity, but whether it's just like financial stuff, like just, just, just chopping it up. This is all I can do. If you're willing to make the time, I'm committed to the count of the time. So I do it as an exchange of time because that's really the best commodity that we all have is our time is probably valuable to us to a certain degree. So if we're willing to commit that to me in of itself is just a sign of respect and commitment that I'm making to the mentee and the mentee that's making to me. So I, I like the idea of having that follow up action item. Hey, if you want to, it, it's the ball is in your court. Like, I wish I had this information when I was 21, but you have an opportunity here to take this and, and materialize it the way you fit. If it's not now, maybe it's later, but at least now when you're informed. So later you can make that informed decision. And I just think just getting the information out there to the audience, to the mentee, I think is the key. I guess if I can take what I knew now back to when I was like 21, I think we all can say probably some things probably do differently. There's probably some things we would fundamentally do differently. And I think just seeing that next group of youth, young adults come into the to their their stages of life and being able to guide them and shuttle them on their way. I think that's the excitement I get from seeing this because they have an opportunity to create leverage, to create scale, to create their own personal value where I can sit back and say, wow, I hope that when you're my age, you are like 10 times better than where I'm at. And I want to see you there because I'm committed to doing my part to getting you there, like full stop. That's it. That That's and Tia said it, I think you only have so much energy, right? You only have so much that you can give. I, I tell my kids that aren't that 100% of energy you have, that's not going to change. That's not going to be a 100, 101 or 99. No, you have 100%. You have to allocate it according to what's important to you. And I have to remind myself as I'm mentoring people that 
I may be on the first step of this journey with them. I may be in the middle part of that journey with them. I may be on the end part, meaning they're going to have other mentors. They're going to have other people who are going to be advising them. I may not be the name they call when they get the award at that ceremony. That could possibly be uh, someone else who was you know, towards the end of that mentorship. I'm quite sure as LeBron James is as phenomenal athlete as he is and my sort of favorite professional athlete, that high school coach, I don't hear much about that high school coach anymore, but he played a part in that. Or, or actually, maybe I do. I think he does give the high school coach a lot of props. But there are people along the way to help this phenomenal talent to develop. And I have to just remind myself, I may not be in the end or in the middle, I may just be in the beginning of that mentorship to help that person, him or her, get to that next level. Because uh, I couldn't agree which halls more in terms of what it's about, though, at the end of the day, you're doing better than I did. And if we have that sincere belief, not the sort of crabs in a barrel type thing, uh, if we have that sincere belief, uh, we are going to do much, much better. And so I think mentorship is just certainly a, a great way to do that. One thing that I wanted to say to this group, and I, I've never said this in a, a public forum, but when I got to Netflix, I felt like it was a completely new chapter in my life. And you can ask Charles because we work together. As soon as I got to Netflix and I felt like I had some degree of success, I was as loud as possible. I wanted people on the East Coast, I wanted people overseas to understand that we are here and that we can have the success in technology and have the success in cybersecurity. There are people that are probably listening right now. This person is either youth and they're looking at cybersecurity, they're looking at ways to get out of their situation, their socioeconomic status. There might be practitioners that are they look just like us that are practicing today and they feel like they want to do more and bringing more people on board, or they're even allies that are listening right now, thinking about what more they can do to support black excellence in cybersecurity. What is the one piece of advice from each of you that you would want to say today with that captive audience? Let's start with you, Kelvin. You're never as good as you think. You're never as bad as you think. Meaning my dad always told me, keep your PhD, right? poor, hungry, and driven. Not necessarily poor in the literal sense, because we all are in this to uh, do better for ourselves and our family. Keep that driven mentality that you really want to strive. And that's the, the constant theme I've heard from this group is that constantly learning, constantly striving, constantly trying to be better. So I would just say to people, you're never as good as you think. You're never as bad as you think. Stay poor, hungry, and driven and always try to go forward as passionately as you possibly can. Just piggybacking on the staying passionate, the thing that enables me to, to do that is, is knowing who I am and owning who I am and always knowing my why. So whether it's pursuit of cybersecurity as a career or a degree or a certification, knowing yourself, your worth, your strengths, standing in that firmly, regardless of what comes your way, is critically important to success. And knowing your why is always what makes sure that there's always a light at the end of that at the end of that tunnel. So just being who you are, your authentic self at all times. And and because as you progress, if you got there by being someone you're not, it gets harder and harder to to keep up with who you became or the things that you did to maintain this thing that you've created for yourself and it just it's it's not worth it it's not sustainable it makes things harder than they have to be so never feel like 
you have to be someone else. And I don't mean faking a funk or, or code switching or anything like that. I just mean knowing you're enough and that's all it takes. Who you are is all you need and, and that's all it takes. Something that has helped me out a lot is, is studying the great black heroes that came before us and understanding their journeys and understanding the transformations that, that they went on from Carter G. Woodson to Fred Hampton to, to Martin, of course, and Malcolm X as well. And the reason I say that is because as black leaders who have made it here or as someone that's black and just now starting out, We've all went through that journey. We've all kind of glided the same way Malcolm X went from Detroit Red to Malcolm X to El Haj Malik Al Shabad and knew that he needed a full scope of the people around the world to solve the problems that we were facing as people. And I think too often we, on our journeys, we're focused on the fact that we're not where we want to be, and that we haven't yet quite, we haven't made it yet, or we're still at this particular point. And by studying the heroes that came before us, you realize that your entire life is that journey, that we are here in service of others, that we are here to help the next person and to pave that path. So anybody that's on this journey, study those that came before you, whether that's Black heroes of the civil rights generation or even just us here on this panel. Study people that are in here that are going through this because we are still on our own journeys, but there's a chance and a very high chance that you're going to see yourself throughout their journey. You're going to see that you you probably might be Detroit Red right now, or maybe you're militant Malcolm X right now. But the point is that there is more to your story. The story continues on. And if you understand that, you're able to not get too bogged down with the highs and the lows. And you understand that there's a full journey. I'm a big history buff. I love to, to study those that came before me. And I think it's really important, especially as Black people in this field and just Black people in general, that we know our history. We know where we came from. We know the struggles that came before us so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. It's something that my wife always asks me, and, and it's something I've said to Chris. She says, where do you go for your wisdom? And I think there's something there as we go on. The, I, I love your point, AJ, the journey. We are on this journey of life. We want to meet people who are in different phases of that journey. So when we do meet these people, I think we got to meet them with grace and humility. There's something to be said of just the human condition that we all here are trying to do the best that we can with what we have and what conditions we were raised in. Like everyone wants to succeed in their own definition of, of what success looks like. So for me, the thing that I walk away just hearing everyone talk about today is I'm grateful to have this opportunity to talk to you all because I'm pulling wisdom from all of you. So I thank you for that. And then as we all part ways and we go our separate ways, like just meet the people with grace, meet them with humility, and just ask yourself where you're pulling your wisdom from. Thank you so much, everyone here from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for taking time to come and chat with us. For folks that want to stay up to date with you, all the things that you have going on, and tell everyone that you are here, what are the best ways that people can do that? Let's start with you, Kelvin. You can actually, I don't mind if you just send me a straight email, old school style. Kelvin with the L, K-E-L-V-I-N at staysafeonline.org. Uh, that's at the National Cybersecurity Alliance. But you can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's a major one for me. Charles? You can reach out to me at Twitter at Charles underscore Nwatu, N-W-A-T-U. My LinkedIn profile, C Nwatu. And I'm going to assume that Chris, you're going to have all the details mm -hmm meeting notes. So I'm open. DMs are open. Just reach out. AJ? I live on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. You can reach out. I, I still carve out about four hours a week to mentoring. So if anybody listening to this wants to chat and just ask some questions of me, 
you can I give you a link. You'll be able to find time on my calendar. I don't care who you are, where you're from, or or whatever. I'm I'm willing to reach out. I'll be on Twitter soon. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna join the the ranks on Twitter here soon. But LinkedIn's the spot to find me. Tia, I'm not so great on Twitter. I, I do spend more of my time on LinkedIn, but I am on Twitter at Y Hopkins. Uh, my LinkedIn profile is Yatia Hopkins, but you could probably find me if you look up Tia Hopkins also. I was also even bold enough to create a personal website. You can find me there at, at TiaHopkins.com. And for any women of color uh, interested in joining the org, uh, that website is EmpowerHerCyber.org. It's been a true pleasure and honor to do this. I really hope we could do it again. I'm pulling a lot of wisdom. And every time I speak to each and every one of you, I learn something new about you, your craft, and also learn something new about myself. So I wanted to say thank you all again. And I can't wait till we do it next time. In the epic conclusion of We Are Here, Ron and Chris interview Congresswoman Yvette Clark. She discusses the role that led her to make a tremendous impact in the government and cybersecurity. Her actions boldly state, we are here.